Hi everyone, hope you've enjoyed the service so far. Hope, you have a, hope you've had a, a good week. Why don't we pray as we begin this morning, today, this afternoon, whenever you're having church, let's pray. Father, thanks for this time together and we pray as we look at your word that you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say. Help us to listen well in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we came across this sentence. It was 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, you might remember it. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, more literally, people see according to their eyes. In other words, our perception of things is pretty unreliable. We can only perceive what we see. You see, we don't, we don't see everything and we don't know everything. Now, this truth becomes even more important when we try to see the, the meaning and, of, and, and significance of events. Events like, well, COVID-19, the coronavirus. How do we understand this? Are you, how are you going with all that, thinking it through? You know, what does this event tell us? Does it tell us anything about good and evil? Does it, what does it say about God? What does it say about humanity? What does it say about life and death? They're big questions, aren't they? The truth is, is none of us, because of our limited powers of observation, none of us really can know enough to be absolutely sure of the meaning and significance of anything we see. See, people see according to their eyes what we see and what we know. But here's the big claim of the Bible. And I'm going to quote from an author I've been reading this week. It's going to be up on the screen. For if God is really there, and if he is the creator of all things and the Lord of all history, then any understanding of this world or any part of this world or any event that occurs anywhere that does not take into account God's power and purpose is bound to be at least inadequate and more probably mistaken. What do you think about that comment? Is he on the money? Here's our problem. We cannot see God's power and purpose with our eyes. Our view is limited to what we see and what we know. That's why God's view of things is so different than ours. That's true, isn't it? He sees according to the heart. And what we saw last week, that means he sees all things and all people in the true light of his own will and purposes. His view is not limited. And the whole world looks very different from that perspective. Now, I want you to come with me for a moment. We, I want to illustrate this. So I'm going to go for a, I'm going to go for a bit of a walk. All right, here we go. Come with me. So I'm, I'm here at, uh, in Jamboree, right in the middle of the Oval. Now I'm looking around, it's, it's a good view, it's a nice view, but I'm not. Let's just have a look around here and then back around this way. But it's, of course, that's my viewpoint, it's what I can see. It's, it's a limited view. What I need to see things more clearly, I need a better view. I need a, I need to go just up there. That's where I need to go to get a better view. Not a limited view of Jamboree, 
like I'm seeing now, just what I see. I need to get a better view. Okay, let's go do that. Talk to you soon. Well, there's a better view. We see well, everything, don't we? I don't know if you can see a little jamboree down there somewhere. It's a bit small now. But I think this illustrates God's view. It's unlimited. It's not restricted. God sees everything. That's a much better view. Have a look around. Whew. Just get my breath back for a minute. That's a long walk. Uh, <laughs> The, the, point of, the point is, you see, God's view is not limited like ours. His view, so his plans and purposes, are not distracted. See, who, who, could have guessed, who could have guessed the significance of what happened in Bethlehem in the days of Herod? Well, sure, okay, the, 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 only the shepherds, really. Only the shepherds who were told of God's purposes. Otherwise, who could, who could have known? How could a baby born in an animal's trough in a nothing town of Bethlehem have any significance? Who could have guessed the significance of what happened in that same town of Bethlehem in the days of Samuel, 1 Samuel 16? So today, that's where we pick things up. We pick things up in 1 Samuel 16. We're starting from verse 14. Have a look at what you see. Well, you'll see Saul... Uh, He's still king and he's in his hometown of Gibeah. And there's this young fellow from Bethlehem who will soon become the king's private muso at the king's bidding. Now, if you see as people see, well, you'll see Saul the king. You'll see David the servant musician. But let's try and see things as God sees. Today, through his word, let's, let's try to see God's purposes, which aren't distracted like ours. The Bible invites us to see things from a better point of view. Okay, let's go to 1 Samuel 16, verse, well, we'll go to verse 13, which is the last verse of the, the passage we looked at last week. I hope you've got your Bible in front of you. That'll be very, very helpful. If you don't, press pause now and head off and get that organised. Well, we're, 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 so verse 13, we're still in Bethlehem. Samuel had anointed David to be a different kind of king than Saul. And so we read, verse 13, And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now, the Hebrew phrase really, or more literally, can be read, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David in power. Now, we don't have to go... We don't have time really to go into the Bible's uh, teaching on the person and work of the Spirit of God. But we need to remember that the Spirit of God is God himself. And by his Spirit, God accomplishes his purposes in creation uh, for his people. Now, what we find in the Old Testament is that God's Spirit effectively sustains the leadership of God's people. So the Spirit is given to equip God's people for their task. Let me give you some examples. Samson's a good example. Remember Samson? Uh, long flowing hair, uh, big muscles, uh, a bit like Gary Hole in the early 1990s. 
so Samson is given the spirit for the task of leading God's people. Here are a couple of these verses from Judges 14. You'll recognize this phrase. Uh, Judges 14, verse 16. The, then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, Samson, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. I'm not sure how you tear a young goat, but I think you get the idea. And over in chapter 15, verse 14, then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax as, that, as, 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 flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. Saul, another example, even Saul received the same empowering for the task of leading God's people. So 1 Samuel 10 verse 10, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met Saul and the spirit of God rushed upon him, as was promised a few verses earlier, and he prophesied among them. But what we find is that this is not some empowering from within that, that, you, that, that they muster up in difficult circumstances, like some, you know, believe in yourself mantra. It's nothing like that. This power that rushed upon them came from beyond them. It came from elsewhere. These leaders were equipped by God for the task. And the effect varied. Uh, Samson ripped apart animals and then went berserk on 30 men. You can read about it in Judges 14, 15. Uh, Saul prophesied, then um, raised an army and got really cranky. But they, they did what was needed, what God needed them to do as the Spirit empowered them. But when Samuel anointed David in Bethlehem, although the same words are used, there's an important addition. So I want you to look back with me again to verse 13, 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. Yes, he's being equipped with the Spirit to lead, but have a look. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. From that day on, from that day forward, David would have God's Spirit, not just for the task of leadership, but in him. David would be a different kind of king, or as the Lord put it, a king for myself, for his purposes. Okay, now the scene does shift in verse 14. We're not in Bethlehem anymore. We're over in Gibeah, which is Saul's hometown. And uh, there's a problem. In, no, Saul has a problem. Now, we're not sure of the time gap between the scene at Bethlehem and this scene at Gibeah. However, it seems that this scene, so verses 14 to 23, chronologically comes after chapter 17. That's the David and Goliath bit that we're going to look start next week. I think the writer wants to stress the theological rather than chronological priorities, if I can put it that way. It's actually quite a common literary device with writers at that time. It seems he places this scene with Saul in Gibeah here in chapter 16 to show the consequences of David becoming the one chosen by God to be his king and the spirit of the Lord therefore coming on David. Okay, so now what happens with Saul? What are these consequences that we're talking about? 
Remember, it's Saul's disobedience that's led to his rejection by God. The new king had now been identified and empowered for leadership, although done in a bit of a secretive way back in Bethlehem. That's the first part of chapter 16. So now we come to Saul's problem. Verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. That is, as soon as we hear about the spirit rushing on David in this new way, we learn that the spirit left Saul. Saul was no longer the one equipped to lead God's people. And there were consequences. Now, look at that last phrase in verse 14 again. It's a little disconcerting, isn't it? And we're not given much of an explanation apart from the fact that Saul's attendants in verse 15 also notice the effects of this spirit tormenting Saul. Probably the best way to understand this evil spirit is to see that this spirit from the Lord was the other side, the, the flip side of the spirit of the Lord departing from Saul. Do you see? So the word evil is really more about describing the resulting behaviour rather than anything else. The the behaviour that resulted from the spirit leaving Saul and not equipping him for the task of leadership anymore. So Saul was was disturbed, he he was depressed, he was unhappy, um, probably full of fear. We've learned that a bit more in the coming chapters. Well, Saul's attendants come up with an idea, uh, a solution really to ease the, the trouble, the, his, Saul's troubled moods. Uh, verse 16, let the Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play with the, when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you'll feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. Well, that makes good sense, doesn't it? Uh, music. Guitar playing especially, we all know that, and we all, of course, know that a lyre is just simply a guitar turned 90 degrees and you play it like that. That's, that's something like that. Anyway, anyway, music has um, music soothes, doesn't it? It, it can soothe, soothe the mood. Well, they find someone. Hey, if you want to get anywhere as a political advisor, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Verse 18, one of the servants answered, I have seen a son... I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior and he speaks well and he's a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. By the way, I think this attendance, pretty remarkable description of the young David is further evidence that this scene takes place sometime after the David and Goliath scene. David was well remembered because of that day. Okay, so David the Muso comes on the scene, uh, his first public gig. This young, good-looking, well-spoken warrior who would become, well, the church's greatest songwriter and poet. Well, we're on on point three of our outline. I've got those headings up on the screen there. David, the the answer to Saul's problem. Now, before we continue, uh, don't forget... No one with Saul at the time in this scene in Gibeah knew what happened in Bethlehem, recorded in chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. No one knew about that anointing. So we wonder, as the the reader, we wonder, how's this going to play out? 
you know? The rejected king unknowingly seeking the one who has been chosen as his replacement to come and serenade him, to soothe him with his guitar lyre playing. Things might get a little bit awkward. Although Saul did know it was David the attendant was talking about, look at verse 19, and Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David. I remember him. He was the guy who floored Goliath. He's the guy with the sheep. The irony in this section, as my Kiwi friend from at Bible College used to say, is thuk and rutch. Uh, <laughs> David is, is not only the Lord's choice, but Saul's choice. Doubly chosen. And it's the chosen king who keeps the rejected king from emotionally falling apart. The chosen king is not a threat to Saul. Actually, this chosen king is a means of grace to Saul. But the sadness remains, Saul, well, has therapy, but not the Spirit of God. Let's read the section, verse 20. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and ended his service. Saul liked him very much and David became one of, the, one of his armour bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, Allow David to remain in my service for I'm pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit of God came to Saul, or came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. See, God's purposes for David were hidden from all who saw, only as people see. But the truth was that this man would become Israel's king. God's Spirit would come upon him for this purpose. And only when we see that do we see this little scene in true perspective. You know, many years after these events, the prophet Isaiah would look forward to a day when another shoot of Jesse would come on the scene. Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 4. Let me read it to you. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. See, that day when the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David became the background to this promise we read about in Isaiah, which was fulfilled some thousand years later when Jesus came to John the Baptist. John 1, verse 32. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Friends, if we look only as people see, God's purposes for this man from Bethlehem remain hidden. The truth is that 
this man is Lord and Christ, Jesus, who will judge the world and save those who belong to him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him for this purpose. And only when we realise that do we see our world, its history, its extraordinary events, like the one we're going through right now. Only when we realise that do we see these things in true perspective. Let's give thanks to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Who, Lord, when we trust in him, when we believe in him, we see this world in its true perspective. And we see Jesus as Lord and Christ, your perfect king, who reigns today and will reign forever. Only when we see that, Lord God, do we, do we see life do we see the difficult events of life in true perspective? Lord, thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.